It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. My guest today is Robert Martichenko, founder and chief executive officer of Lean Core Supply Chain Group. LeanCore Supply is a trusted supply chain partner with a mission to advance the world's supply chains. Robert's mission is to embrace the role of the human CEO, where respect, empathy, relationships, education, courage, and critical thinking still matter for businesses to remain relevant and competitive. Robert's written several business books, most recently, Discovering Hidden Profit. His other books include two Shingo Research Award-winning books, People, a leader's day-to-day guide to building, managing, and sustaining league organizations, and building a lean fulfillment system. Robert complements his professional experience with a bachelor's degree in mathematics, an MBA in finance, and a Six Sigma black belt. Born in Timmins, Ontario, Canada, he and his family have lived in the United States for the past two decades. Robert Martichenko, welcome into the corner office. Thanks, Brant. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Uh, it's great to have you here. We we spoke uh, about a week or so ago, and I guess this is week 10 for me going into the crisis, and I think about the same for you, isn't it, Robert? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I haven't <laughs> been on an airplane for a long time, and I'm not sure what to do with myself. You know, it feels very odd, doesn't it? But in a way, it's settling. Uh, I was talking with a friend this morning, and I said, you know, everything's just a little bit slower, a little more molasses-like, but, you know, I can get used to that for a while. Agreed. I am, I am enjoying parts of it, no doubt about it. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, listen, we always like to start a little bit with the early years, and you've got an international background. I'm excited to hear more about. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what your early family life was like, Robert. Well, so I'm right now, as we're speaking, I'm actually living in Sarasota, Florida, mm. and uh, it's been quite a journey to get here because I was actually born and uh, did my first 10 years in Timmins, Ontario, which is right. about eight hours north of Toronto. So I'm a, a true northern boy and right. um, I grew up there uh, with my mother and father and I'm the youngest of three, my brother and okay. sister, both older. I'm in my mid fifties now. Uh, right. And uh, we were in Timmins. Uh, unfortunately, my father uh, passed away when I was eight, uh, mm. an accidental death. And that that um, precipice uh, drove us to start moving from the north down into eastern Ontario, where we eventually landed outside of the Ottawa area. Did mom remarry at a certain point in time while you're growing up? You know, she did. Uh, and yeah. that, uh, yeah, she remarried, but not uh, that didn't last uh, very long. And so there was a little bit of uh, disruption uh, over the years. But certainly, so kind of you know, a, my pretty father... much a single parent uh, family situation then as you grew up. 
Well, you know, and in, in, in many, absolutely, and, and in many respects, it's very inspirational in that when my father passed away, uh, my mom was in her early 30s oh, and wow. had three young kids, me being Jeez. the youngest at eight, and she ended up going back to university, uh, and then uh, three, maybe 25 years later, we watched her uh, graduate with a PhD from the oh. University of Toronto, so it was pretty wow. inspiring. That's fabulous. And so was she working then in her 30s after your father passed and, you know, supporting the children? That must have been pretty tough. Yeah, you know what? It was really tough. And even at 55, uh, it's still a big part of my psyche and yeah. and and so forth. I don't know if you, if you look into the psychology of, uh, of, uh, of uh, young uh, boys that grew up without a father, there's a whole thing there. There's a whole narrative around it. And I, and I, uh, I connect to the narrative pretty, uh, pretty significantly. Were your older brother and sister quite a bit older? In other words, did they kind of raise you as well as part of those early days? Not really. My, yeah, my sister's two years older and my brother's yeah. five years older. And, uh, right. you know, there, there were some, definitely some disruptive years. So I would, I would say that the three of us probably, uh, to kind of took care of ourselves, but, right. uh, but everybody, eventually everybody got educated and my brother and sister are both, uh, professionals in their own industry. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. it's very, um, you know, I think it's, uh, you, you could say in some respects that, uh, that we're survivors. Some, a lot of people yeah. have had it a lot worse, but we certainly made it through some hurdles over the years. And, uh, you know, I'm proud to say that we, uh, that we love each other and we're close friends and it's all worked out for the best. That's awesome. Well, I can tell you've got a great uh, level of admiration for your mom. What were some of the things that impressed you the most, uh, particularly as you kind of got into your teenage years and, you know, got a little older about maybe the things she said or, or, you know, kind of how she raised the family? Well, you know, there was always a, um, there was always a, importance put on education, although mm. I didn't always uh, understand that as a younger person. <laughs> and then also uh, there was always books and art around. And so there was always soul, uh, you know, in the homes, wherever we were at the particular time. And, but also there was just an, an absolute work ethic there mm. as well, that uh, as a young person, you would just kind of watch it and, and see it and understand that, uh, you know, if you wanted to to move forward and prog progress then you needed to, uh, to do the work. Did she stay in one profession pretty much her whole career or did she have to kind of reinvent herself along the way as she, she grew up there? Her three no, children? she stayed, she, uh, when my father died, she went and got her teacher's degree and then became mm. a teacher. And then her PhD was in curriculum development. And her, when she retired, she was working for the Toronto board of education in the, nice. in the city. Yeah, hence the the emphasis on education. That now makes sense. Right. <laughs> Any other folks or people, uncles, aunts, coaches, teachers that, you know, provided a level of inspiration for you, Robert, early on? Yeah, you know, there's definitely uh, uh, an uncle uh, who's actually a, a business partner of mine mm. now. But uh, it's, it's an interesting story in that... Um, my grandfather, my mother's and my, uh, my two uncles father died when my uncle was 10 years old. And then my, so, so, and then, and then my father yeah, I took yeah. over as a father figure to my uncle, if that oh, makes sense. Isn't that interesting? And, and then yes. my father died. And so yes. my, uh, my one uncle Glenn, uh, certainly, uh, uh, rose to the occasion. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So a lot of identification there. So he, um, was kind of the father figure in your life for many of those years. It sounds like. 
Yeah, there's no doubt about it. And yeah. then, and then also, in, uh, he was a uh, business uh, a business person in okay. Canada, and and he uh, um, built a business and sold a business. So when we started LeanCore in 2005. Uh, the first two people I went to uh, mm. was Glenn and also my father-in-law, who was also a retired accountant. Awesome. Well, going back to those early years, were you a good student in uh, elementary and high school or good at what you liked? <laughs> you know, that's a, that is such an interesting question. I, I'd, uh, uh, you know, in, in, at the risk of kind of sounding like spin here, I would say that uh, I was a, always a student from the point of view of that I was always curious and mm. willing to learn and willing to try things and enthusiastic. Uh, I think uh, my mother once said I had an overabundance of, of unproductive enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, and um, and but from a very traditional point of view, I would say I wasn't a very good student. No, mm. I, I went to five because of some of the. Uh, the uh, uh, disruptive years, I ended yeah. up attending five different high schools, oh, wow. um, some of them, a couple of them successfully, a couple of them not so successfully. Right. And um, so it just, I don't know, there was something about school, uh, the way that school is designed in a traditional sense that just didn't mm. line up with with me. So I, I wasn't very good at it. I got up, I, I, will, I will say with all honesty that I got up every morning and left the house in order to go to school, right. uh, but didn't always make it. Sometimes I just got, <laughs> sometimes I just got, just, you lost I, your I, way. I lost my way. That's right. Um, what were some of those outside interests? Were you involved in sports, music, theater? What, what distracted you on the way to school? Yeah. Well, you know, it's, um, so once we, uh, in my high school years were in Eastern Ontario and mm. it's, and it's cottage country and lake, Beautiful, uh, it's cottage country and lake country. So, mm. You know, it, it was just, uh, you know, we we're doing lots of canoe and spending lots of time mm. in the bush, lots of uh, hiking um, and camping. And, you know, earlier in my, um, you know, to say that I wasn't a very good student in the traditional sense doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy reading and right. and so forth. And I, uh, as a younger person, I was, you know, influenced heavily by Jack London's Call of the mm. Wild and oh, White yeah. Fang and... Uh, and also sure. uh, a book called Where the Red Fern Grows, which is about a young boy and his dogs living mm. in the Ozark Mountains. And and most specifically, um, I'm a big fan of a poet, Canadian-British poet, Robert Service, and the poem The Cremation of Sam McGee, which is all about mm. the Klondike gold rush and being a prospector. And so... Wow. As a young, as a young guy, I, I had this outdoors. romantic yeah. image of, of just living mm. in the mountains off grid and being a prospector. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. Cool. So that's where you, that's where you wandered off to on some of those mornings. Well, yeah, I, I did. <laughs> and, and, and unfortunately there were a couple of other, uh, young lads that didn't mind doing the same stuff. So <laughs> I can I went, imagine. I a lot more funner with a group, I'm sure. Yeah, a lot more fun. I wasn't always by myself. <laughs> but uh, but we, you know, for the most part, we did no harm. We were probably just hurting ourselves more than anything. Sure, sure. Well, exploring the wild is, is always a good thing to do at some point in your life. Maybe earlier is better than later. No doubt about it. What about entrepreneurial things when you were growing up? Was was the, a paper route the thing to do when, in that part of um, Eastern Canada or the other money-making things or did that come later in your life? Well, you know, I certainly had a paper route and mm -hmm. uh, the Globe and Mail, which was the early morning paper. Oh, yeah. And that was uh, a little trying on a, on a young lad, but uh, I've got, uh, I've got images of, of me setting up uh, 
a piece of plywood with balloons on it and having <laughs> darts and the other kids would come by with nickels and dimes and if they oh, if little, they hit the balloon they would win a stuffed front animal yard I, circus right or i front think yard I, they would win my sister's stuffed animals which didn't please her very much and uh <laughs> i love it and i remember once in high school uh saga which is a was a very popular canadian band at the time was mm-hmm. playing in ottawa and um, I, uh, uh, without my mother knowing, I put, uh, 50 concert tickets on her credit card oh and gosh. then, and then got a yellow bus, uh, arranged <laughs> and, and I sold, uh, transportation and tickets. And tickets. Uh, so well, that's great. You know, that's it's, great. uh, it, it's, did a you pay her back her seed money? You know what? I really hope I did. If I, <laughs> uh, if, if I didn't, then I have since. Let's yeah, just I was going to say, she probably remember Robert. So. Yeah, yeah. But you know, it's, it's a funny fun. thing because we've just recently moved to Florida. And, uh, mm-hmm. and, it, and when I was packing up, I found a box um, that I have uh, business cards that oh, I've had right, since right. I was, uh, that I've made since I was a kid. And I've only had four professional jobs that would issue a business card and i think i have about 22 business cards so everything from you name it t-shirts to buttons to hats and uh um all entrepreneurial things yeah yeah yeah. but the, the the fun one was probably in my uh, in my mid 20s um uh my close childhood friend and i started a what I'll actually call my first business, which was called Beaver Brothers. And we did eaves trough or gutter, gutter cleaning, as it's known in the South here, <laughs> and uh, and light construction and landscaping and wow. so forth. And so, yeah. So well, what I did all that extra that, money yes. go towards? Were, were you saving towards college? Was it uh, some high school vices, you know, taking the girls out? Or what, what were you engaged with? Uh, well, you know, that? that's a good question. Uh, that that Beaver Brothers was, I was, I was post high school. So right. if I remember correctly, we might have been putting the money into fixing up old Volkswagen vans or something like that. I'm, I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> well, it sounded like you did a lot of reinvestment, right? You know, yeah. You know, we, uh, like I said, there was no shortage of enthusiasm. What there was, was probably a shortage of good business sense and, uh, and so forth. Was going to college on your radar screen growing up? So, you know, back to the to the school. So I did go to, and this is kind of the dichotomy of you know watching my mother and my father, uh, yeah. but was a chiropractor, and he graduated from chiropractic college in 1961 when chiropractors weren't even a thing. Right. So education was clearly a, a part of my psyche. But um, so I did go to university right out of high school, but I, I just I, I I didn't have the disciplines. I wasn't taught the disciplines in right. high school, so. I did, I was smart enough to stop and I went to work mm-hmm. and, um, and then later at 25, Came back. I, I looped back and mm-hmm. I finished and I finished my degree. Yeah. Now, did you do that in Canada or was that, were you in the States by that time? No, I was in Canada. So mm-hmm. I ended up graduating at 28 years old, actually a little older than most, uh, most young people, uh, from the university of Windsor with, uh, okay. deg- with a degree in mathematics of all things. Windsor's right on the border with Detroit, right? right That's a that. fact. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Well, in probably some ways it was better. You certainly probably got a lot more out of it. Better. You certainly probably got a lot more out of it than uh, your younger self. No have. doubt about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, patience and, and disciplines uh, are things that um, if you're, you know, do come with age. And what's the old 
the old saying, you know, when the student is ready, the teacher will appear, right? And that <laughs> that's that, right. Uh, that's right. that 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 old cliche is very uh, relative to uh, to my situation. And you got your MBA later, or did you do those back to back? I did no, I did my MBA. Uh, so um, out of university, I um, I got I had a degree in mathematics, mm-hmm, and uh, mm-hmm. then I went looking for a job with somebody that was looking for somebody with a degree in mathematics. And believe it or not, <laughs> that was in the days when you, we used the book "What Color Is Your Parachute?" Right, and, uh, sure. And you actually looked in the newspaper uh, for yeah. jobs, and um, so. Uh, that didn't work out so well, and then I ended up uh, ac- actually calling uh, the uncle that I that oh, I mentioned, uh, yeah, um, and yeah. and I just said, "Hey, you know, Uncle Glenn, I I really need a job," and mm. he he connected me to a friend of his who owned uh, and still owns a trucking company nice. in outside of Cambridge, and they gave me a chance, uh, and that's how I ended up getting into the logistics and supply chain. Yeah. industry. So that was the first real job out of college. That was the first yeah, real yeah. job out of college. Did, yeah. did you have some leadership responsibilities there early on? You know, um, I, after about two years I did mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. Uh, and I started becoming a leader and, uh, and, and then, and then from that job, I got recruited by a big Japanese company and they took me to the U S and that's when I did my oh. MBA, just in the spirit of the, the MBA yeah. part. But yeah, right, right. yeah. And that was in a logistics company as well. The Japanese company. Yes. Uh, yeah. 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 I got the opportunity to go from uh, uh, Challenger Motor Freight, uh, my first job, uh, which was ran by an, just an incredible entrepreneur, um, Dan Einwechter. And I learned a and ton from him. he was the him. friend of your uncle's. Right. That, that the, well, yeah, yeah. That yeah, and and the, and the CFO, Gene Moser. Is right, exactly. Right. Yeah. But the, I, but I got and 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 I had no reason to want to leave there. But I got a chance to go to Evansville, Indiana, mm. and I participated in the startup of a greenfield Toyota facility, and that oh. was just that was just an opportunity that I couldn't yeah. give up. Well, back to the first job and um, the time when you first started managing people. I think you said you were a couple of years in. What were some of those challenges when when you first started to manage others? And I imagine some of them were probably older than you, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that, yeah, some similar age and, Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, and in my first job, I didn't end up with a, with a big team. And, uh, and my, so my challenges there was that I just had zero experience leading people. And so, and I was still just trying to find my own way in that, uh, um, you know, first job and, uh, you know, the old fake it till you make it, uh, uh, (laughs) attitude and, and so you've got your own insecurities. And so I was, you know, half, you know, one foot in just trying to understand who I was and then also trying to become a leader. Um, so there was learnings there, but when I went to Evansville, Indiana, um, that was literally we we had to hire and onboard 150 people in oh about gosh. six in about six months, and it I was, was a production the, facility. Right? E, e, it was a, or, or uh, a production facility DC. making trucks. Yeah. yeah, wow. And and my job was on the logistics side, so we had to hire um, truck drivers mm. and dispatchers and logistics wow. engineers and so forth. Yeah. Wow! Wow! What a great experience. What were some of those lessons that you learned early on? in terms of managing others? Well, you know, I think that the, if, if, if I look back, um, 
and I think of my first job and then even, you know, the first, the first time that I was uh, working uh, as a leader, you know, I, I realized that um, I needed to learn how to, to listen a lot better. Um, mm. I can remember, I can remember a leader once taking me and taking me for a walk and saying, Robert, uh, you've got, um, two ears and one mouth. So what should you be doing more of, <laughs> um, you know? Right. And so, and I think these are probably typical rookie mistakes sure. in that as we, when we first become leaders, we think our job is to somehow uh, uh, make people think that you were the smartest person in the room and have all the answers. And that's just simply not the case. And mm-hmm. as we, as we um, learn and grow, um, I think we we learn to 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 that we act to, to try to listen more to try to be humble, um, mm. and uh, and and as a leader, one of the things I think one of the big lessons for me is that I really started to at one point really just try to learn how to actually learn. Mm. Like I I, mm-hmm. I I want I I wanted to I became a student of leadership as opposed to just think, you know, I'm the leader. So, right. uh, you know, I'm the boss. And, uh, and that's when I started, uh, early on really devouring, you know, reading books mm. and, and so forth and really, um, really taking leadership, uh, seriously as well. Who've been some of your favorite authors of, of business books and, you know, business learning books? Well, that's a great question. And, um, you know, and I hate to say this because my leadership style, I don't think is the same as Jack Welsh's, but he was pumping out books there 25 years ago for <laughs> a long was. time. And, yeah, yeah. and sometimes I would read books to learn, you know, what, what, what I, what I want to emulate. And sometimes I, I would read books to decide what behaviors I don't want. Um, but there's, uh, you know, the, 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 the books that we've all read, uh, you know, Stephen Covey's book mm-hmm, on seven mm-hmm. habits, yep. and there's lots of books on operational excellence and lean thinking and leadership of building lean cultures and, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, so it wouldn't be, I don't know that I have like one or two that I Favorites. carry around in my yeah. briefcase all the time. I just random, uh, you know, oddly enough, uh, um, the books that, um, that um, uh, I recommend to my own leaders. One of my favorites is uh, a book called 13 Days written mm. by R- Robert F. Kennedy. It's his, oh. it's his auto, uh, it's his version of what happened during the, the Cuban military or the Cuban Missile Crisis. Right, and, right, yeah. and I think it's just an incredible mm. business book. leadership book. That's great. I'll go look that up. Um, You know, we all have had mentors in our career and you've mentioned a couple of them, uh, good people that kind of took us under their wings and, and brought us along. But uh, there's also been tormentors in our past (laughs) and we don't need to name those, but I was wondering if there was behavior that you noticed, things that you saw in the workplace that you said, boy, that's a really good lesson of how not to develop people or not to behave. Any of those memories, Robert? Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And, you know, if you think about it, you know, it's interesting. One of the uh, questions that, you know, you can often hear in an interviewing process or something is, you know, like, what are the best bosses you've had and what are the worst, worst bosses you've had? And, you know, at the risk of just trying to be sound politically correct, I I really, I, I think that now in hindsight, I really always just took the approach that, that every boss, there's something you can learn from all mm. bosses and, and, and yeah. there's things in, in all respects. So I don't know that I could say that I ever had, you know, a boss that was all good or a boss that was, was all <laughs> bad. So, 
once again, I would try to use, I would always try to learn things, go, wow, I really like that. And, and I think I want that in my behaviors or, oh, I don't want that. Um, you know, I spent a good piece of, of my early career, um, in and around the automotive industry. And at the time there was a whole bunch of, uh, you know, behaviors in the automotive industry that I don't know that I would want to emulate as a leader, but, Mm. um, but, but at the same time, uh, um, you know, the things that I did learn, like I, the, the, the best leaders that, that, um, that I work with, you know, I, I learned to, I think I learned to be kind and respectful mm. and I, I learned to ask good questions. Um, I learned from the best leaders, you know, not to sit behind a desk that, you know, it's about getting out on the ice and, you know, that leadership is full right. contact and you have to play the game as full contact. Um, probably learned along the way, you know, to be hard on process and easy on people uh, mm. because it's the processes that really drive That's the, good. you know, what the customers uh, uh, feel. And, um, and I, and I think I also learned to be passionate about, about our industry. You know, like the bosses that, that I enjoyed working with the most um, were actually passionate about our topic. They were passionate right. about the work we were doing. Um, and and that goes a long way. Well, I want to talk a little bit about Lean Core. Now, you established this company over 15 years ago, and you've been working on a number of things there, including replacing yourself. And we'll get to that in a minute, because I know you've been focusing on books and speaking, and have got a very strong management team. But but just give us a little bit of the career path. You had the trucking job. You did the Greenfield Automotive Plant. What what led you to founding Lean Core, and what was kind of the career steps coming up to the point of you deciding to go out on your own? So I, I came to the U.S. Uh, in 1998, and mm. and then was uh, working for a big a Japanese company who supported Toyota. They were part of Toyota's uh, group of supply chain, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and I worked in that world for seven years and worked with some amazing people and mm. just learned so so much and had had incredible corporate support. And I was put into roles that I probably wasn't even ready for and just when you're exposed to lean I'm sure and Kaizen and oh absolutely and, approach, and yeah. It, yeah no the, the 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 lessons in operational excellence so yeah. it was it was an education like no other education yeah. Yeah. and um and you know what I just I, I just decided that that um that I was uh, you know, I always had it brewing that someday I would like to try something entrepreneurial. And uh, and uh, it was just the strangest thing. So it would have been the uh, fall of 2004. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I don't know if you remember that fall, but there was an incredible tsunami uh, in, 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 in right. around Indonesia. In Indonesia and, Thailand, and that, yes. Uh-huh. And the coverage of that was just plastered and, and my, and it impacted my wife and I a mm. lot. And we were, you know, uh, in that, you know, we couldn't do much either than, you know, give to the Red Cross and so right, forth. But, right. but I had this over, it, it, the, that event gave me just this overwhelming sensation that life is short yes. and, mm. and, and chaotic and fragile at the same time. So, and that, uh, so over Christmas, over that Christmas, the two week period, I actually had some vacation. I just framed up a bit of a business plan mm. and, um, wow. and I went into work, uh, not planning to do anything on January 3rd, uh, <laughs> of 2005. And I went into work and I opened up my laptop and I looked around and I just said, 
I'm not supposed to be here anymore. Mm-hmm. And I, I got up and, uh, resigned and uh i went home and uh and my wife tells the story that she was coming out of the neighborhood and it's about 11 o'clock in the morning and i pulled up and we met the two cars and she said what are you doing home and i said i quit my i said i quit my job she had no idea it was not premeditated at all that she knew maybe a few months later after (laughs) i got some things in place or whatever but no she didn't know it was going to happen that fast and we and our two little girls were three and six at the time and uh so yeah yeah so it was um and then so um i uh then i really finished the business plan for real and then Mm. uh and went uh and sent it to my father-in-law and uh gave a copy to my wife um who had a little money uh, outside of our relationship that she'd saved prior to us getting together and and then my uncle and all three of them decided to invest and here we are That's fantastic. Great. And what was the principle behind establishing LeanCore? Tell us a little bit about, you know, your core values and what was, um, what were you trying to do different than perhaps other folks in the supply chain industry? Well, you know, the first thing is, is that it, it's a supply chain company, which was it, which is what I knew because that's the work that I had done. And because of my would we, first job. Would we job, classify you as a 3PL? Would, would that be the category or you do things differently than a, than a, than a third party logistics provider? Well, we have three divisions, and so we've got training and education, and we have consulting, and we have 3PL operations, managed transportation. So that piece would be 3PL, but the training and education uh, would be uh, exactly what it is, and the consulting is more traditional consulting. So we have three value streams, uh, um, if you will, and and they're very very, um, strategic in that the premise of the company why we thought that it would be able to survive in a in a sea of big healthy good mm. competitors um is that to build a culture of operational excellence you have to do three things you have to train and develop people you right. have to fix underperforming processes and yep. you have to operate and sustain absolutely and mm-hmm. and there's organizations that do one of those three things mm. but there's very few that do all three so mm. the premise of our strategic vision at the beginning was that we could be a one stop shop to train mm. and develop people that's the training and education arm right. to fix underperforming processes that's the consulting arm and then to actually operate and sustain and that's the operations mm. arm and are they all based on lean principles? I mean, the training as well as the, you know, the consulting part of it, or do you take a broader view in terms of training and development? And the training, the training and development at the most strategic level focuses on building cultures of operational excellence or okay. lean cultures. Yeah, and then we cascade from there to end to end supply chain. And then we cascade from there down to actually functional uh, supply chain functions, yeah, transportation, warehousing, yeah. and so forth. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Cool. So very, very well integrated. It doesn't sound like there's other people like that in the industry. I've I've talked to a number of 3PL guests. We've had a few on the show, but uh, that's quite comprehensive. And do you find that your clients kind of flow through all three divisions? We have clients that engage with one of the divisions okay. independently and then we have others that that uh flow through all three as well mm. the train or er, er, in the early days there it started with just me so right. uh, so i was literally consulting during the day and then building the business at night and right. our market contact strategy was 
training and education. So at the in the beginning, the training the training and education was a product and a revenue stream, but it was also our market contact strategy. That's where we would meet industry people, right. which and then we would build trust, and then that might lead to a consulting job, and then that mm. might lead to a managed transportation yeah. job. Yeah. I've heard it said before, Robert, particularly with founding entrepreneurs after a number of years there, and particularly in the early years as well, that it can be somewhat uncomfortable having your answers questioned rather than your questions answered as a CEO. How do you handle that situation? Is that something you're comfortable with? Well, so um, this is all a learning this is all a learning evolution as well, right? Like if there's one thing that that the, that we all know that ego is a fragile thing, um, and uh, and as leaders and, and entrepreneurs, there's always no shortage of ego because mm-hmm. you know ego is is and it's not always a negative thing. It's what drives people in many respects, right? That's right. And yeah. um, and 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 I and so what I've tried to do over the years when we ran into this, you know, if I was kind of feeling like um you know some of the things that i was coming up with are being were being questioned uh um and and i was very passionate about something mm-hmm. i always mm-hmm. just try to educate people on uh on what it's like to be you know inside the body and mind of a ceo mm-hmm. and an entrepreneur and and right. i think that 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 when we do that that that's really helpful in the conversation like you know the for example I, I think what a lot of people don't understand is that um, if you're the founder and owner of a company, uh, for the most part, you live with a 24-7 fear of failure. <laughs> exactly. Like you just, you get up in the morning. It's your bank account. In <laughs> everything, right? And you right. get up in the morning and you just say, oh my gosh, why would our customers stay with us? Mm. Um, and 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 that fear of failure is extremely motivating and and right. what then and then and so um you know you spend all weekend thinking about something and then on monday morning you get people on the phone and you can be you end up you come across as as very passionate and very kind of firm and dialed in on your convictions and i think that when somebody's really passionate and firm and and dialed in it's harder for somebody to question that person mm, because yeah. you know because there's just so much um there's already so much force behind it right so right, right. so i've tried i've tried over you know the years to if there's if i'm if i know i'm being very passionate and if i know i'm really selling hard on something and then there's just silence, which could be misconstrued as affirmation. Uh, then I try my best just to ask somebody, look at mm. where, where am I all wrong here? Where did right, I, right. Where, where did I come off the rails here? Because, um, you know, humility we, has to kick in. Yeah. You know, humility is a very, a very, uh, uh, failure is a very humbling thing. <laughs> yes. And Indeed. every single, you know, I'm 54, every single time that I all of a sudden thought that I was a little smarter than I really am, life just came and knocked me at the <laughs> knees. So I've, I, and and I get that now. I really, uh, right. I honestly right. do. But at the same time, uh, passion is a very powerful thing. And so it just what we have to do as leaders and 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 par- and part of leadership team is to try to mitigate 
the unintended consequences of passion and drive. Yeah. And and I think we've tried to do that at LeanCore. Yeah, awesome. You know, the CEO, particularly a founder, uh, really is responsible for building out the company culture. How do you do that? And particularly after 15 years, you know, you obviously have a strong management team. We talked about that a couple of days ago. But, you know, you still really are at its heart and soul, the company's culture. And, and how do you communicate that? How do you ensure it gets maintained? How do you build on that? Well, culture is everything, right? It's not mm. something, what's the, you know, the old saying that uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And, <laughs> That's right. um, and in fact, um, uh, you know, and in the last year or so, um, prior to all uh, this COVID crisis uh, situation, you know, I, 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 on the personal side of my life, I've been focusing on the, these, these, the, the concept of making work meaningful and where is work going to go in the next 10 years with the advent of um, automation and artificial intelligence and robotics and machine learning and so forth. And, and that, that research all leads to culture mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when we think, when we talk about culture, what I'm talking about is just what are the behaviors? Right. What, what is the vibe and behaviors of the organization? And, and at LeanCore, we were very lucky in that one, we're, we're, we're a young company, 15 years old, we're 110 people. So mm. that's a manageable, um, uh, that's a manageable size. Right. And, but, but we're very lucky in that when we started the company, I, I said like, we're going to be a lean company or I'm going to mm. die trying. And <laughs> And as you, as you know, self-evident, I'm not dead yet. So, <laughs> and, 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 and when, when I say a lean company, what I mean by that is, is a lean organization is one that believes in continuous improvement. Right. They believe in making problems visible and they believe in solving those problems at the root cause in order to deliver the highest value to the customer at the lowest possible total cost to the business. And We've been we have uh, uh, valued that um, that belief from day one, and then in addition to that, um, the, our value system starts with respect, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and 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 we live it, and uh, we believe it, and so so the 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 culture we've been able to build a culture because we started with the vision of the culture from the very beginning and we never allowed, we never came off it even in right. even when we were at our lowest points we didn't come off it and even more importantly when we were at our when we were at our highest points mm. we didn't come off it um we didn't come off it either but the interesting thing about culture that i'm realizing now um you know 15 years into this and pushing mid 50s is um, you know, someday when, you know, this journey flattens out for me, um, I'm going to realize that the most rewarding part of building LeanCore was in fact building a mm. culture uh, mm. and building the culture. Yeah. Um, so the culture aspect uh, it, it is not only the most important thing mm. the leader should do, I would argue that it's the most rewarding thing a leader can do as well. Certainly one that will lead to longevity. Yeah, I'm getting that right. No doubt about it. Yeah. What do you look for when you're making bets on the people you invest in and hire, Robert? So that's a great question, Brant, because, you know, uh, hiring and, and I know it's your profession mm. as well. And so, you know, you really uh, understand this work as well. And when I, when I think back, um, I think that probably the most costly uh, mistakes 
made when building a business is hiring the wrong people. And that's, and, and that's not a criticism of the people that I may think that, that were the wrong people for me because uh, they could have very well been the right people, but mm-hmm. I didn't manage right them properly. Yeah, 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 exactly. And, well, and the second biggest one is keeping them on when you know they shouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, costly. acting fast. But you know what? <laughs> There's something when like, back to that fear of failure. When you're an entrepreneur and you have a an intense fear of failure, you tend to act faster than if you're in right. a big organization yeah, where yeah. bureaucracy and that can right. can. Uh, right. But, but, but so I've learned, I've learned, uh, you know, the hard way, um, uh, uh, on a few occasions building lean core, um, and, and I'll, and I'll jump on my own sword and say that they were mistakes. I am my own sword and say that they were mistakes I made as opposed to been the best fit. But what I've really, what I've learned and, 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 and what I really try to do is manage this juxtaposition and the juxtaposition is the ability to to look for somebody that i'm going to have good chemistry with but at the same time not hire in my own image Mm. because i need people that that um have whose strengths are my weaknesses and whose weaknesses are my strengths but at the Mm. same time the chemistry has to be there like you have to want to work with right. you, you have to want to enjoy working with them. Right. Right. Um, but at the same time, you can't hire in your own image. Um, so I think that's the big mm-hmm. lesson for me. Mm-hmm. And then, and then there's the more obvious things, which is, um, you know, will they connect to our value proposition of really working hard and teamwork and, and, and being accountable and believing in respect uh, so, so there's the, there's the more tactical, are they just going to fit in to the culture? Right. But right. then there's the, uh, what will they bring to the team and is the chemistry going to be good? Yeah. yeah. Well, listen, time has just flown by. I've just taken a look at our, our clock here, but we always have one last question we ask all our CEO guests. And what kind of career and life advice would you give to someone who, Robert, perhaps has their eyes on the corner office in their current firm, or maybe like you, is start with big corporate and wants to be an entrepreneur like you someday? What, what would you tell them or, or tell your younger self 20 years ago? <laughs> oh my gosh. That last part of that, that's, uh, I'd have to think about that for a bit, but you know, but if we, if we look at the question from the point of view of what would I say to somebody that's thinking of, mm. you know, starting their own business. And, uh, I would, I would, uh, you know, on the, on the caution side, I would say, it's not what you think when people say it's 24 seven, you think, you know what that means, but you don't, <laughs> right, right? you don't, uh, every because, weekend. <laughs> you know, and it's not just that you're working every weekend. It's, it, it's just that no matter what you're doing, even when you're sleeping, yeah. it's, the the business is there, and um, and you better enjoy it. <laughs> and it and it's not a roller coaster. I I've people say it's like a roller coaster ride, and I say absolutely not. Uh-huh. Roller coaster ride is planned. You can see right. what's going to happen. It's designed. It's you know designed to are. get off safe. I, I liken it like flying a kite. You just one minute uh-huh. you're soaring, the next minute you're crashing to the ground. I love that. And uh, um, but you know, but at the same time, I would say that it's uh, completely amazing. Like if you can. Uh, take a run at building a business or being the CEO of, a, of a, a, in an industry uh, uh, that you're passionate about, where you really like the topic, right. um, then it um, uh, can be really, really amazing. And um, and so my advice would be go for it. And 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 there's another reason why 
I would say go for it. And this is something that I think is a little bit misunderstood in the entrepreneurial world in mm. that a lot of people, a lot of people, when I tell them the lean core story, they say, Oh, that day you left your job, man, that, that was so risky. <laughs> and when I look back now, I realize it wasn't risky at all. The worst, the absolute worst thing that would have, could have happened is I would have spent a year trying right. and it wouldn't have worked. I would have lost a bit of money and I would have went and got a job. Yeah. That's right. Now, 15 years later, with 110 families and right. customers, yeah. now there, it feels like there's risk. That's where the risk is. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so I would just, you know, I would say that the lesson learned is it, there's not, it's not that risky to mm. give it a shot. And if the work, and I'm sure if you're at the point where you're thinking of giving it a shot, that means you have a good, strong resume. It means you're a hard worker. It means you're smart. You can always go and get a job if it doesn't work out the first time. Particularly if you do it in your 30s or your 40s, like you did, right? Do it in Absolutely. doing it early on. Yeah, take the risk. Yeah. Well, Robert Martichenko, founder and CEO of Lean Core Supply Chain Group, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thanks, Brent. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.goforroi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode. 